Like you said in your post, they go through so much shit with you. They mean a lot, you know? A lot of people, they don't give you that grieving like you, like dogs. 
or family to me, so. I never find it to be an overreaction at all. It's really hard when you know it's coming and you gotta make that decision, you know? We just got our remains back. That's a whole nother fucking terrible feeling, you know? Just washes over you again, yeah. I just see like a big lamp over your head and you're just like, just like acting in an ashtray, just talking movies. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite episodes because I was, I, I had a couple cocktails and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my top 10. That's a good idea. I think I'll knock that out in the next few weeks. Yeah, I, I would love to know your top 10. I do that so much. I'm like, oh, that movie's got to be in my top 50. But you, if you really have to boil it down, God, can you imagine? What channel did your family watch whenever it came to the news? Oh, God. I think we were a NBC family. Channel 5, right? We were like a Leno family and a, you know, fucking, uh, that's Dave Frenfrock, baby, the frock. You remember Bobby Wygant? Yes. Yeah. Remember? Uh, the local uh, movie critic. That's what I would watch the news for. I moved into Grapevine in fifth grade, and there was a kid named Chris Rigolo, and his mom was a film critic. And I was just so enamored with it. He didn't think, think it was like a big deal. Like, I don't think he was really much of a movie guy like I was. And I was just like, every day I'd ask him a question. Like, <laughs> like what is, he was like, yeah, she's interviewed Harrison Ford. And I just blew my little fucking mind. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe she got paid for it. I was like, that's her job? He's like, yeah, that's her job. <laughs> You want to record and go? Yeah, let's just do it, man. You you just jump in. You want to do it? Let's roll. All right, man. Let's do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spitting the Real Shit, uh, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. Uh, you are catching us on a very special day because this is our thirty seventh episode ever. Uh, with Warner Brothers and HBO Max continuing their monthly new release offerings, the end of April saw the release of Mortal Kombat, uh, rebooted and ready for consumption. Uh, we give our breakdown and opinions of the franchise film, and we're playing a special round of first and favorite, as well as giving a bracket update and a bracket preview. My name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit, and joining me, as always is my co-host and fellow administrator, the Midnight Movie Maniac himself, Rylan Johnson. What's going on, man? Mortal Kombat! Dude, so ready, man. This, I've been waiting for this one. We took a little bit of time off. We had some stuff going on, but we're back. Let's do this. Uh, we had to push the entire schedule back a week through just scheduling, and uh, we had a loss in my family. My, my oldest dog, Haley, passed away this week. I don't want to get into it too much here on the show, but uh, I did record my other podcast, Best Siblings Ever. I tell the story over there. It's already out, so if you want to listen to it right now, you can. Just uh, search Best Siblings Ever. It's the most recent episode. Welcome to the Best Siblings Ever. This is Heather. This is Charlie. No. <laughs> did you not even listen to the, to no. the last one? Okay, literally. You no, s- I listened to it. I just listened to literally it. Literally, you video. say, hey, this is Heather Thompson. Oh. And I say, Hi. Or I don't say hi. I, I just say, <laughs> and this is Charlie Thompson. Okay. And then you say, and you're listening to the best siblings ever. Okay. And then I describe what the best siblings ever is. Got it, got it, got it. I got it, I got it. I remember we made a rule about new release episodes where we tried to get it just right on the cusp. 
But man, with our scheduling, it just didn't work out this time. Yeah, we had the hot release. I kind of wanted to hit it, like you said, and, and get a fresh review out for the, for the listeners. It didn't happen that way, but that's fine. A lot of people put their take on the real shit of what they thought the movie was and the good and bad, which I like to see. I like to see the new releases getting their good or bad reviews. I'm sitting there going, I haven't seen a good Mortal Kombat movie since 1995. Just the anticipation of it. I could tell from some of the trailers and the production value that this wasn't just going to be a turd. I think we got a good little uh, popcorn flick, so we'll talk about it. Well, you know, good friend of the show, uh, Andrew Boat, <laughs> does not think highly of this movie at all. If you're a member of The Real Shit, uh, we'd love to hear uh, some of your thoughts on the movie. So I always do a discussion thread uh, for these episodes. Uh, so chime in, guys. Tell us what you think about the new movie. But before all that starts... We got some big news. We are about to end the stoner bracket. And Ryland, I couldn't think of a better final if I wanted to. Um, We got Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke versus Half-Baked. As we speak, the match is live, so it doesn't close until tomorrow. But by the time this comes out, we will have crowned a champion. You know... You got the OG smokers. You know, anybody that references weed or, you know, you and your buddy smoking out, it's Cheech and Chong. Guacamole machu. Hijo de la chingada. Is that a joint, man? <laughs> God damn, it looks like a quarter pounder, man. Let's <laughs> Man, be careful with that shit, man. Uh, is it heavy stuff, man? <laughs> Will it blow me away? <laughs> put your seatbelt on, man. I'll tell you that much. I've been smoking since I was born, man. I could smoke anything, man. You know, like I smoked that Michoacan, man, Acapulco Gold, man. I even smoked that tight stick, you know? Tight stick? Yeah, you know, that stuff is tied to a stick, you know? So, what better finalist than them? And like I told you earlier, I grew up on Half-Baked. And when I vote for Stoner Bracket, it was really hard to vote Half-Baked over Super Troopers. And Big Lebowski and all these great fucking movies, I lean towards genre. And like, I've always been a Half-Baked fan. I I quote that movie quite a bit, which says a lot. Literally all about weed and marijuana and goofy guys. And She's an I'm only creative if I smoke smoker. She believes weed and only weed brings out the artist in her. Would you like to hear some of my poetry? Not really. You really should. I have killed. I have helped kill. I have killed part of myself. I cannot change this. I. I must seek Buddha. I must seek Christ. You must seek therapy. That's why I would go with that, but that's my own. They're just fun movies. If you grew up on Cheech and Chong, it's it's one of your favorites. I don't know how many fucking sequels they had there. We never got a Half-Baked 2, which I would love to see, but uh, two finalists that'll... And I, have you been watching? It's neck and neck. I have not seen more debate during a bracket. On any bracket, other than this one. Like, everybody's just getting, like, super philosophical and like very finite on their arguments. Like I did a P.T. Anderson versus Wes Anderson bracket one time. There wasn't near as much internal debate. Isn't that awesome? How like there's so much more to chew on on an Anderson bracket, but no. We're gonna take a big rip of the joint and go, nah, bruh, telling you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving every bit of it. I wanna see it grow like that. I would love to see debate like that. I'm excited to see who wins, but you're right. As we speak, it is neck and neck. I thought that 
Half-Baked had no chance the second I posted it. But man, it's got Cheech and Chong on the ropes, man. <laughs> yeah, Cheech and Chong still holds up, though. Like, it's still hilarious. Those characters are, are just, you know, cemented in time. And I don't know if you've seen them, but those two old boys are still kicking, man. Old, old Chong on TikTok every once in a while. Just a funny old man. He's still smoking. He's still doing his thing. I'm, I'm pulling for half-baked. Who are you pulling for? Man, I got to go up and smoke, man. I, know, uh, I, I knew you would being an OG there. Man, it's it's just such a classic film. Like, from just the way it was shot, the way it came to be, you know? I don't know if you know any of the history of this film. A man named Lou Adler is the guy who directed this film. And he also produced the film. But even more noteworthy than that, his main source of income is that he runs the Roxy. He created it. He started it, and he created, the, you know, the, the essence of that venue, how it's like a legendary, kind of like a CBGB type of joint. That's why they do the show at the Roxy and stuff like that. Also, Lou Adler's other big movie credit is that he's the one responsible for bringing the Rocky Horror Picture Show to America. He put up the money and he was like, I want to see this made into a movie. And he got it done. It's that spirit that I really enjoy. It's palpable on the screen, along with the stoner jokes, you know. I think I've only watched it twice in my life. Man, I know it's good. You kind of forget some of the, the bits that they have. When was it made? Mid-70s? Oh, 78, man, is when it came out. Yeah, so... 40 years later, it's still making everybody laugh. So can't say enough about that one. But like I said, Half-Baked, it was my era. I'll be at work and say, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool. And fuck you, I'm out. <laughs> Randomly, we'll do the, let me get some of that fruit. <laughs> <laughs> that line just doesn't make sense, and that's why it makes me crack up so much. <laughs> me and my buddies used to die laughing because one of us would be like, so... You guys believe in angels? Or? <laughs> It propelled Dave Chappelle into what he is now. I mean, he's a mega star. His comedy is amazing to me. So we'll see. Time will tell. Do you like Cheech or do you like Chong better? <sighs> they play off each other so fucking well. And I think I think Chong makes me laugh more than Cheech. They're kind of, they're their own thing. You know, they're, they're different, but they play off each other so well. They're sympathetic, uh, though. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. To me, they're kind of a duo. I can't really decipher from one or the other, you know? Ah, man. That's some heavy shit, man. Hey, man. Am I driving okay? I think we're parked, man. Oh, shit. God damn, what was in that shit, man? I never had no dope like that before in my life, man. That's the heavy shit I ever smoked, man. I mean, I smoked a lot of shit before, man. But God damn, man, that's heavy shit. You okay? I can't breathe. What's your man? I can't breathe, man. We're just, we're here. Hey, man. Oh, 
Hey, hey, I got something to mail you out, man. You're just freaking oh. out. Here. I never smoked no shit like that before. Take these. What? Man. Take these. This will mail you out, man. What is this, man? Let's take it, man. Oh. Hey, hey, don't take those, man. Because my wife leaned towards Chong. Anything he puts out, I'll watch it. I'll probably enjoy myself. And I go, well, that's funny. I always went Cheech. My first intro to Cheech Marin was Desperado. So it was like this shotgun-wielding, toothpick-chewing badass. That's my first Cheech Marin. And then it went from that to from Dust Till Dawn. All right, Come on in, lovers. Here at the Diddy Twister, we're slashing pussy in half. Give us an offer on our vast selection of pussy. This is a pussy blowout. And then I went back and I watched, you know, Born in East L.A. There's a great Cheech solo movie called uh, Shrimp on the Barbie. That's really good. I actually watched Dustful Dawn two or three days ago. I love how it turns just to a vampire flick out of nowhere, pretty much. And I think Cheech is a huge personality in that movie. So it was always my belief that Chong needed Cheech, but Cheech didn't necessarily need Chong. I always thought he was kind of like the, the mouthpiece, you know, uh, and Chong was always the cool one, you know. He's always laid back to him, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. Yeah, easy, man. Yeah, man. Growing up with my dad, my dad grew up in an era where, you know, potheads were kind of looked down on, and those boomers kind of thought, oh, you know, those potheads, those lazy guys. So if mm -hmm. my dad ever did a pothead impersonation, he just did Chong. <laughs> Growing up, my dad'd be like, oh, that guy's one of those men. He man. Yeah, man. What he thinks every stoner is, is those two guys, you know? 40 years later, it's legalized. People are eating weed now and edibles, and it's a different world now. But on the other side of this whole, you know, love fest for Cheech and Chong, I mean, you got Half-Baked, which is just as much love. It's chock full of colorful characters and goofiness. And like I said, the one-liners in that are fucking hilarious. The Samson. Samson and Sheila. Mama Phil. Shut up, bitch. You'll kill a kill, man. You'll kill a kill, B. <laughs> you had quoted Nasty Nate, the cocktail fruit. And, and I said, Nasty Nate, he's taking your line. And Nate I... was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, your name is Nasty Nate. Big shout out to Nasty Nate, man. Whoa, Really fun bracket, man. I love this one. It got so much traction and, and attention. We're having so much fun with it. But we got to talk about the next one. Are we going to talk about that now or later? Yes, yes. I, like I said, everything got pushed back a week. I was going to preview the new bracket on this show, but I, got, I had to go ahead and do it on the feeds. But yes, the next bracket is going to be a buddy cop bracket. This entire run, the second phase, has been full of kind of guy movies. You know, you had the heist bracket, the stoner bracket. Now you got the buddy cop bracket. Uh, very guy-centric stuff. I grew up on buddy cop movies. Definitely, hands down, my favorite's the Lethal Weapon series. It doesn't get any better than that. Riggs and Murtaugh, I quote Murtaugh all the fucking time saying, I'm too old for this shit. Mel Gibson and Dan and Glover bounce off each other so well for that buddy cop. Then you add the, the Joe Pesci character for the comedy aspect, because the first one was pretty dramatic. But yeah, man, I'm just gonna throw out some front runners. Of course, Bad Boys, Rush Hour, that's a big one. Uh, 48 Hours with the 21-year-old Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, that's a great fucking buddy cop movie. Classic for sure. Well, give me a break, will you? You're gonna have to settle for her place because it's all I know. I'm telling you, I'm giving you all I know. Well, look, Hoss. You start running a respectable business, and I won't have to come in here and hassle you every night. You know what I mean? And I want the rest of you cowboys to know something. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool. Right on. It'll be a fun one. 
There's also some, you know, variants that you can play off of. I had, you know, the last Boy Scout running around in my head. I love that one. It's so unique and it's great. Tony Scott is one of the best directors, in my opinion. You got kind of your offshoots. I mean, Super Troopers could be defined as a, a buddy cop film if you wanted it to be. I think it deserves a spot. I mean, they're all buddies and they're all cops. And it's not two, which you usually think of as partners. You know, that's what that's right. the thing. You get the old veteran with the young rookie that's that's a hothead or, you know, that's usually the go-to is they play off each other somehow, some way. And it's either a comedy or super dramatic. Well, you know, like, especially with this genre, like, it became something of a meta genre because in the beginning it was taken very seriously. This is the formula, this is how you do it. And, and people were trying to one-up each other in that department and how to make this the best movie. But then over the years, it got kind of cliche and then it became self-aware. You know, like, it was making a buddy cop movie. And so, you know, you can't discount Hot Fuzz for being still a great buddy cop film, but also knowing that you're making fun of it at the same time. I'm just saying things aren't always as simple as they look. Well, most times they are. Let's just wait till Dr. Ratchet comes back with something before you go jump in the Kalashnikov. <laughs> All right, in the meantime, why don't you check out a few of Martin Blower's clients? Martin Blower represents damn near most of the village. Do you want us to go through the whole phone book? Yeah, we'll put a call into Aaron A. Aronson, shall we? Please, don't be childish. At least consider interviewing the widow. Martin Blower was clearly having an affair with Eve Draper. Ooh, and how did you establish that? You gotta throw in Tango and Cash. Dude, I thought that was the epitome of Buddy Cop when I was growing up. The only thing that would have made it better would be Arnold and Sly. They didn't get in a movie with each other until Expendables, but I think Kurt Russell did a fucking fantastic job, and I love that movie to death. So I was talking about, you know, it being self-aware, yeah. you know, and then, and then also being, you know, cliche. I think Tango and Cash came out right at the at the transformation of that, yeah. where it was still trying to be a serious buddy cop film, an entertaining popcorn movie, but at the same time knew that it was just being this ridiculous, you know, formula movie. Did you check the first panel? It's full of gas, sir. We checked the whole truck, asshole. There's nothing in it. And you're out of your neighborhood, big city boy. I want your badge, I want your weapon, I want your ass. Who in the fuck do you think you are? He thinks he's Rambo. Rambo is a pussy. What do you know? It's snowing. I don't think it got near as much love as it should have gotten. On top of the fact that it really falls flat in the, in the last third. That last third of Tango and Cash, I watched it recently, about a year ago, and I went, what the fuck happened? Like, <laughs> just takes a turn and you go, wait, what? Did they run out of money or what happened here? And it's funny because it's so many moving parts. You know, it was something, something happened. And what was it? And that's another great thing about the Buddy Cop film is it, it can hit that perfect note and be one of the greatest films of all time. Give me your gun. What's going on over there? Put the gun I'll down. I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. No, oh, what's in the box? Not taking, give me the what's gun. in the fucking box? Give me the gun. He just told you. You lie! You're a fucking liar! Shut up! That's what he wants. He, wa he wants you to shoot him. No! Or it can just be one of the biggest piece of shit movies that it's such a waste of your time. What was the Harrison Ford and the young kid, Blue Streak? No, not Blue Street. You ready for this one? You, you ready to get your mind blown? Yeah. It's Hollywood Homicide. Hollywood Homicide. Well, obviously, being a Harrison Ford fan, I'm like, oh, man, okay. And it was, what's his name again? Uh, Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett was hot. Oh, he was the hottest thing in the world mm -hmm. at that time. And it was 
god awful. <laughs> well, do, do you know who who wrote and directed that film? No, tell me. Ron Shelton, the same guy who made Bull Durham. Oh man, isn't that terrible? Like he oh. fell off, dude. <laughs> Fell off a fucking cliff with that one. Like this piece of shit movie. I was so disappointed in Harrison Ford in that one. I was like, man, you've always done good movies. What's what's going on? It took me out of it. I hate when I'm watching a movie in a theater. The worst is when you look at your watch. If you're watching a movie in a theater mm-hmm. and you look at your watch, it's over. Where the most important thing about this movie is when it's going to end. You know, and I'm that's the guy that I, I've only walked out of one movie in my entire life, and it was The Spirit. Yeah. It was. It, I thought it was a Sin City spinoff type thing. And it was so fucking weird. It was the only movie I looked at my friend, my roommate at the time, and went, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Man, I, I heard there was a big piece of shit. But I also heard that Frank Miller, the comic book writer, is the director of that film. Why would you hire a comic book writer to direct a film? Now, we can talk about adapting mediums into a movie on our Mortal Kombat talk, but we have a game to play, Rylan. You ready to play a game? Let's play a game. What? This week is a very special game. Uh, we're doing kind of a variant on an old favorite. Uh, we're doing first and favorite this week. But instead of an actor or a genre, we're doing a specific moment in a movie, which is the one-on-one fight scene. And keeping with the Mortal Kombat theme, we thought it was a good way to go this week. So I am curious. Ryland, do you remember the first one-on-one fight that you ever saw in a movie? I do. I had to really think hard. It wasn't just a memory that popped up, but I had to kind of Rolodex. I had to go back in time. If you think about one-on-one fights, it kind of generally aims towards martial arts movies. Yeah. And I remember my dad showing me Into the Dragon at a very young age. And right. such a young age that there's a lot of storyline to that movie. There's a lot going on in that movie that as a young kid, you're not really understanding. You see Bruce Lee and that's about it. You kind of figure out that he's the, the hero of this movie. And you figure out the guy with the claw hand is the bad guy. The ending, obviously, is the best part of this movie. It's iconic. It's been redone a hundred times. The mirror scene, Bruce Lee cuts on his chest. And it's so stylized and so iconic that as a young lad, I probably watched it at six. My dad put it in and said, Bruce Lee, is he's the man of the time. These guys were actually really good martial artists they weren't just lookers they didn't just have the body or the what these were really skilled people this was my first introduction to bruce lee because by this time he had passed away you know his whole story was pretty well known yeah that was definitely my first interaction to a one-on-one fight that really stuck with me and of course to see bruce lee get the bad guy at the end and my dad having given me a little bit of insight to how cool of a guy bruce lee was was just memorable for sure remember The enemy has only images and illusions, behind which he hides his true motives. Destroy the image, and you will break the enemy. And you know me, you know, I was introduced to Bruce Lee first, but my favorite martial artist of all time is Jean-Claude Van Damme. Every single movie that came out in in the early 90s that had JCVD attached to it, I couldn't wait to rent it. And, it, and you got to go with the classic. You got to go blood sport, the Frank Dukes versus Chung Lee. You get to see this buildup. You know, you get to see Chung Lee 
break his his best buddy's head and 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 call him out the whole time you know these guys are going to meet up at the end chung lee is obviously that overpowered bad guy that's terrifying and whooping everybody's ass he's almost you know on a different level and you get to see a young john clyde van damme i mean he's shredded in this movie he's in phenomenal shape this guy was a true martial artist he pulls off the splits in this movie he he does it all he kicks everyone's fucking ass he gets to the end with Chung Lee. I, I still do his gasp, his moan when he gets blinded. You know, the, yeah. uh, Chung Lee has to cheat to win, and Frank Dukes ends up kicking his ass anyways. It's one of the best final fights in any movie, hands down. Sand! 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 Ah, A lot of people like kickboxer as well it's very similar storyline almost identical movie really to be honest but i'm going with the first the original blood sport hands down my favorite of all time but i do got to throw in an honorable mention being a giant matrix fan i'm gonna go with matrix reloaded and i know this isn't one-on-one it's more one-on-40 but that <laughs> scene where neo takes on all the agent smiths it is purpose that created us purpose that connects us Purpose that pulls us, that guides us, that drives us. It is purpose that defines Purpose that binds us. We are here because of you, Mr. Anderson. We're here to take from you what you tried to take from us. Purpose. Even though the CGI doesn't hold up now, if you watch it now, it's not that great. So cool at the time. That sequel was definitely by far one of my most anticipated movies to ever go see in a theater talk about midnight movie maniac i was fucking there at 9 p.m so that's my honorable mention neo taking on about 50 uh, agent smiths dude nothing but love for matrix reloaded if we can say that officially this is a podcast that, that thinks affirmatively about matrix reloaded one of the best sequels definitely of all time now if we're gonna go back to my first one-on-one fight scene. We've been planning this episode for over a week now. So I thought I had my first ready to go, uh, which was the first fight scene in Red Sonia. Don't be a fool. I don't want to kill you. Try it. Oh, yeah. One of the first action flicks. Uh, my brother showed it to me. But, but that's the thing is I don't remember what the first fight was. <laughs> I, I, I want to say that's my first because that was the first action movie I saw. And there was, you know, Ernie Reyes Jr.'s in that one. Schwarzenegger's in that one. A lot of great fight scenes in there. But it's really just a Conan ripoff. That's what I was thinking this whole week. But then I, I want to say yesterday, I was like, that wasn't my first scene. I remember my dad showing me that fight scene in Commando between Schwarzenegger and Bill Duke. And that was my first ever one-on-one fight. You know, just just absolutely just murdering each other inside that hotel room. You scared, motherfucker? Well, you should be, because this Green Beret's gonna kick your big ass. I eat Green Berets for breakfast. And right now I'm very hungry. I can't believe this macho bullshit. Commando, man. I love so many one-liners. You said you were going to kill me last. That's right, Matrix. You did. I lied. Yeah, and and that was just such the age of just big dudes, just just one-on-one fight with other big dudes, you know, like, and that was a spectacle. It was. You didn't see that. Like, that's where you saw it was in the movies. But I, I was telling Ryland before we got on that I could not figure out a favorite fight scene. So they're all pretty much honorable mentions. 
But one of the first ones was another Matrix one, which was the fight scene in the bathroom with Morpheus and Agent Smith. The great Morpheus. We meet at last. And you are? A Smith. Agent Smith. You're the same to me. I've always thought about that fight scene as being like, that's really how a fight would go. Smashing into the sink and the porcelain and, and the small little blocks that Morpheus does. It just seems so realistic. The choreographers for The Matrix, you can't say enough about those guys. They, they nailed it. And mad props to uh, Hugo Weaving and Larry Fishburne for learning all that shit. Like, you've never seen Lawrence Fishburne do anything else kung fu style. They don't look athletic at all. Hugo Weaving, come on. He looks like an accountant, man. And Lawrence yeah. Fishburne's always kind of been a little overweight, a little, you know, he looked great for Matrix, but they pull that off just perfectly. And just deliver one of the most amazing one-on-one -on -one fights. The other one that I have, maybe you can help me out with this, Ryland, because you're a big JCVD fan. There's a, I, I want to say it's double, double impact. Double impact. That's one of my favorites. There's a scene where there's a guy that has a knife on the end of his shoe. Mm -hmm. I want to say it was double impact, right? What we're talking here is cyborg. The guy's knife spits out of his shoe. Yes. Jean-Claude Van Damme grabs his knee and kind of breaks his leg type. He's got like a mask on. Cyborg is so underrated. If you've never seen Cyborg, man. Wow. I've only seen it like twice, but I remember first time I watched it was a real surprise. And the, my last fight scene, as a honorable mention, I don't know if you've seen this, Ryland, but it's a movie called The Raid, Redemption. It was never about replacing me. They sent you here to die, you motherfucker. Fuck you. No, fuck you. Big fucking man, you listen to me. You think they'll let you join them at the top? Never. You always be looking up. You think when all this is over, They'll welcome you back and promote you? Make you a hero? Never! You fuck! Now that's some of the best fight choreography you're ever gonna see. I, I basically said any scene in the raid. Yeah, it comes off as over the top, but at the same time realistic. Like it's, it's realistic because everybody knows how to fight yeah. in this film. Exactly. Because that's what a lot of guys don't understand in these movies is the stunt guys don't get any credit for this. I mean, it's really all them playing it off. I mean, of course, the, the lead can do the splits and kick you. But the stunt guys, man, are really the ones that, that sell all these scenes. And so, yeah, basically any scene in the raid, I actually just want to recommend that movie for any, anybody who hasn't seen it and loves action films. The raid is exactly what you want. It gives you everything you need. Artillery, hand to hand, gangster shit. It's an Indonesian film that came out, I want to say, like a decade ago. But if you haven't seen it, go seek it out. Really good <laughs> martial arts. But fun fact one of the main characters is the guy who plays Sub Zero uh -huh. in Mortal Kombat. And as a matter of fact, you just want to, you just want to do this? You want to start talking about Mortal Kombat? Let's get into it, man. We, we got to get this going. Let's do it. Let's, let's start talking about 2021 release of Mortal Kombat. First learned about this seven years ago on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target had superhuman abilities. It had the same marking you do, Cole. It's a birthmark. What do you mean? He was born with it. It's not a birthmark, Cole. 
means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. Mortal Kombat. These are your champions. I'm Sonya. That's Kano. I'm Liu Kang. Name's Jax. Kong La. Lord Raiden. The fate of Earth is in our hands. No matter how many of my people you put in the ground. We will not fail. Kill them. fucking beauty that was literally one of the reasons why i really wanted to see this movie the guy who plays sub-zero is a man named joe taslin he played one of the main sergeants on the police side of the raid movie he's going to be in it so obviously the martial arts is going to be off the fucking chain yeah and you got the actor i don't have his name written down i'm sorry but the actor that played scorpion was amazing in the last samurai with tom cruise he's made for that role so the movie starts out it's the 1600s and you're pitting Scorpion versus Sub-Zero, there's this rivalry there. God, I got excited. The first 15 minutes of this movie was a perfect start. If you're new to this, you know, these are kind of the, the heavy hitters of the Mortal Kombat world. It's a Japanese samurai versus a Chinese, you know, warrior. Great intro. I thought it really set the mood. I thought the action was fantastic. But really what I want to do is talk about, you know, the beginning. Like why this film has importance, why it's not just being shuffled into the B-movie martial arts category. And it's because of the video game reputation that it has, and then also the two films that preceded this film. If you grew up in the 90s and had a Sega Genesis or a Super Nintendo, you had Mortal Kombat. There was no way around it. Mortal Kombat was that first gore-involved game that your parents were kind of iffy on. This was the first video game that I ever saw that had gore and fatalities that were definitely a trendsetter of the time. And, you know, I bet it pissed a lot of parents off, too. I think that's part of it, you know, like that rebellion that had the parents just go <sighs> with the blood, you know. It had notoriety in that arena. One of the most vicious games is called Mortal Kombat. The objective is to finish off your opponent violently. Another method is decapitation. Critics, including the national PTA, say such video games contribute to violence in real life. And television's Captain Kangaroo says parents are not paying enough attention. Understand that these are not harmless toys. 
that uh, they can indeed uh, cause great emotional and uh, other damage to a child. It started off as an arcade game, biggest arcade game to probably ever hit. Of course, people were playing Pac-Man and all that stuff, but this was the first really big fighter game that when I would go to Northeast Mall and go to the arcade, you know, I was 10 and there was these 15, 14 year old kids playing this game. And it was terrifying because they were these big kids playing this bloody fighting game and they're against each other. It was intimidating as hell. I was almost too scared to even walk by it and watch this. It had this aura. It had this feel around it. The aura and the, the feel of that arcade translated really well into the, the consoles that we were playing. I was hoping you had an arcade story because I have one, too. Um, when I grew up, I lived in a town called Burleson, which now is, you know, it's like a city on the rise or whatever. But back when I was living there, it was just this little small town and they had a pizza inn. I'm not sure if they even have pizza ends. I'm sounding so old right now. But uh, they had this pizza end. Everybody was at that pizza end because that was the only place in town that had the Mortal Kombat arcade game. It was just poetry. It was like this brand new game, kids with quarters. It's in a pizzeria. Like, it's, it's so incredibly small town. The popularity and everybody had to play this game. Now from Midway comes Mortal Kombat. It captures the most popular elements of the fighting game and adds more more control, more powerful characters, more depth, more secret moves, and advanced digitized graphics delivering the most realistic fighting action available. Like I said, it's become definitely a front runner in video games. That's why I think a lot of the fans were going into this film, you know, they're anticipating a lot better film than we were in 95. We just wanted to see Liu Kang and Raiden in real life. And that's what they gave us. So we were happy. You know, when 95 came out, I mean, that was a very fulfilling movie. It hit all the fan service. It, you got to see these people in action. The fight scenes were serviceable. The 95 version, there wasn't a whole lot of lore behind it. It was just a basic story about a tournament. And so it was easy to follow. We got a guy with things coming out of his hand. We got another guy who freezes stuff. And then there's a man who, as far as I can tell, is made out of electricity. I mean, how did he disappear like that? What is going on here? Who is this guy? Let's just think this through. There is a rational explanation for this. He's Raiden, god of lightning and protector of the realm of Earth. Oh, great. Oh, there's your rational explanation. Listen. So you never saw Annihilation, Ryland? No. You know, obviously it's notorious for being one of the worst fucking movies ever made. And I've seen the bad cuts, obviously, being a YouTube guy. I've yeah. seen how god-awful this movie is. You're coming off of a video game movie that was hot. None of the actors wanted to come back because they yeah. read this script and they probably saw how much budget was in it. They were like, nope, I haven't seen it. Have you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I saw it in theaters. People have told me I need to see it because it's so fucking bad. So I should catch it. <laughs> like, you know me, I'm like a movie guy. Well, I only dip my toes into much else, you know? So when I think Mortal Kombat, I always think of the movie. I I've played the video game, but it di didn't really do a whole lot for me. Like, I, I got what I needed out of it and I moved on. But with Mortal Kombat, I only think of it really in the movie sense. And so, yeah, Annihilation was god awful. Did you know who played Raiden in the movie? I know the guy's face. It's Dexter's dad, James Remar. Who's the girl? Can she fight as good as she looks? <laughs> Better. Good, because I was expecting a team of fighters. Instead, I hear fighters at war with each other. Oh, give us a break, Raiden. We've been through hell. Compared to what lies ahead, you've been through nothing. And so after Annihilation, nobody would give Mortal Kombat movie money. 
Nobody. They're like, stay in your lane, asshole. Like, just do the video games. Like, you're just not a movie franchise. The video games were just really tough to adapt because there's so much fan service. Plus, there's expectations of it being good while still being believable. But we're still talking about a video game. So it's like very finite, you know, of what people want. And nine times out of ten, it flops on its ass. And it gets up to like 60 plus characters there. You know, the first one, that's that was kind of their pull was the first one you got 10. And then the next one you get 15 characters. So, oh, I'm going to buy Mortal Kombat 2 because it's got five extra guys to fight with. By the time it gets to these newer ones, you've got all these back characters that people get attached to. Are the original ones the only ones you want to roll with or do you want to throw in some of the other guys? It's It's tough. Yeah, and, and so something is going to get lost in translation. That's just what's going to happen. And so after that, after decades of waiting, we finally get another full feature Mortal Kombat film. And like we said, with the beginning, like amazing beginning right before the, the main title. And then we get into uh, Cole Young's character after that. Well, I never knew who Cole Young was. Did you know who Cole Young? He's not. He's actually not. He's brand new. There is no Cole Young in any of these video games. You know that, right? I did not know that at all. So we're going to meet this not very good MMA fighter named Cole Young, right? Oh, I don't remember him from the game. That makes sense, because I made him up. Oh, you did. And I get where the writers are coming from. They were like, the viewers need somebody to relate to because he's thrown into this pretty epic fighting world and they have to have some exposition. They have to figure all this out. But, you know, I'm sitting there going... You're introducing a new character that definitely wasn't something we grew up playing, and it's not a mainstream character. It, it just didn't hit with me. He's Scorpion's bloodline, correct? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm like, we don't need any more characters. We need what we know. And to me, you know, you, you waste a lot of movie time and a lot of uh, minutes trying to attach this new Cole Young to his family and his, you know, where he's from. And he's an MMA fighter. That's no good. And in 95, Liu Kang was kind of the, the mainstream character, definitely the OG. And they they kind of pushed the main character towards this Cole Young kid and good looking guy, young guy. But there's so many characters involved in this that they could have gone with that took his place. I agree, you know, and, and you have the whole human side. And so you had a lot to pull from, but I did like the whole birthmark, the yeah. thing on their body. I thought that was a great piece, you know. What the fuck is that thing? Funny that it sounds much like thanks for saving my ass. Whatever that was back there, he's after both of us. Look. That's, that's impossible. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Chosen? For what? to fight. You got the wrong person, all right? I'm not the fighter that I used to be, okay? No shit, but they don't have the market. So like it or not, Cole, you're the guy. As long as you got that market, they're coming for you. And they will kill whoever they have to, to get to you. I always love Jax. You get mm -hmm. to see how Jax loses his arms. Great intro into why Jax is who he is and how what happens. And Liu Kang, Raiden, these guys are already figured stuff out. But the, the newer characters that don't know what's going on are the, the Jax and the Sonyas, Cole Young. You just shot a fireball out of your hand. How'd you do that? Hang on, hang the fuck on. Does that mean I'm gonna get superpowers at any point? It does, doesn't it? There's much to learn. The fuck? But not here. Follow me. And we gotta talk about Kano. Kano kills it. And this is where I realized, holy shit, this is really a rated R movie. It's yeah. weird, it's such a weird balance between like, 
Cole Young and his family and they're very vanilla and everything's okay. And then you throw Kano in, which is like over yeah. the top character. I mean, way over the top. It's really, you know, Cole and then that group of people that really bring you into this world. Liu Kang and Kung Lao. I'm not sure if they're serving their purpose from the game storyline. It makes sense to where they don't know why they're going to have to fight for the fate of the world. This arcana thing where they have to learn what their power is. Uh, <laughs> it kind of fell flat for me. I mean, I know it's like a, they get together, they have to train. We must start training now before our mortal enemies from the outworld come for us. The fate of Earthrealm is in our hands. There are not many of us with a marking left, so you must train harder and faster. Because if you fail to discover your inner power, you will never defeat your opponent. They will ravage everything you hold dear. There will be no mercy. They do all the things. They find out what their arcana is. Makes sense. But like Liu Kang and, and like you said, Kung Lao, they already know. They're ready to roll. So, you know, you've got these newer characters, which makes me laugh because Kano got his marking because he killed a guy that had the marking. Cole Young is born with it because he's a scorpion bloodline. You know, it's a little wishy-washy with, with the exposition and why. But, you know, like I said, it's it's a Mortal Kombat movie. I didn't really pay much attention to that. I wanted to see good fight scenes. I wanted to see some fucking gore. And they gave us that. Right. And, and you know, it, it definitely brings to light, like, the creative sense of how to do this movie. Because I remember they did the exact same thing in Annihilation. Yep. Which was that they tried to introduce these larger-than-life creature characters you know, to act as kind of like a Patronus. It's like your avatar. And so right. it's like like one's a Hydra and the other one's like a gorilla or whatever. And I never got that. I never got that at all. Like, I was like, what the fuck are we watching with this movie? Well, there's a slow way. And there's a fast way. We don't have time for the slow way. That's what I thought you'd say. <laughs> Sweet dreams, Liu Kang. You know, but then when they explain it in, in the 2021 version, I was like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Helps define the reason why you would have a finisher with the fatality. So it adds all that to every single character, not just the outworld characters. I thought the way they presented that was pretty good. They didn't just immediately go, okay, this is your power. This is your power. This is your power. Like they had to come upon it. I kind of like that storytelling measure. Kano and Cabal, they're kind of back and forth. They, those guys were the most colorful characters to me. I think I can help. Did you see a guy down there? Complete fucking asshole. Answers to Kano. Kano? Yeah, he's the reason I live in an iron lung. He's a low-life piece of shit scumbag. You're gonna love him. I was kind of disappointed in Shang Tsung's character. He seemed really flat to me. Coming from the top 95 Shang Tsung, he was very animated and, and your soul is mine. You know, that kind of stuff stuck yeah. with me. This one just, he didn't have the look to, down to me. He didn't look physically imposing. He didn't do it for me at all, whatsoever. Well, fun fact. You ready for another fun fact? Always. Uh, the guy who plays Shang Tsung is the guy who plays Lao in uh, The Dark Knight. Did recognize him for that. But I was like, I know this guy. And I looked him up. I'm like, that's where I know him from. Yep, that's Dark Knight. Yep. And, and so and so then, you know, you start seeing this divide. You know, like you start seeing the team starting to build. But the baddies are already ready to fucking go. When are we doing this? Did you want to talk about that subplot where they're kind of breaking the rules? Not really. I mean, that was so weird to me where, you know, Raiden. Man, if you ever played the video games, Raiden whooped ass. You know, like he was yeah. big and thing. And this the actor that plays him. 
wasn't a terrible choice, but it just, I want, I don't know what I want from the baddies and the goodies. I want more of a presence. You know, I just didn't think that those guys put off a very good presence. Raiden really gave off like a master splinter type of vibe, you know, like the old wise man, which I know he is, but he's also kind of like a Gandalf in that respect, too, where like he can get in there and fucking fight it out if he needs to also. Lord Raiden, why couldn't you save him? Elder gods are forbidden from engaging in one realm's war against another. It is my job to protect Earthrealm, but I cannot save every soul within it. It's not over. We still need to fight. But uh, upon my initial viewing, I was just really just enjoying the movie. I liked that it was a good movie. And then they give you that amazing medley of one-on-ones in the third act. Cutting back and forth to each fight, and I thought that was really good. And it ended with this great scene where Cole Young kind of gets transported by Raiden to where Sub-Zero's at. And then you get this great fight scene. Well, we got to uh, talk about Cole Young versus one of the best baddies of all time in, in the video games, Goro. Cole can't find his uh, Akana. Like, out of these four fighters that are going to fight for the world, he can't figure it out. And Raiden's like, you suck, so go back home. Basically. <laughs> one of the plot lines where I'm going, wait, what? Cole goes back to his family. Of course, the dark forces follow him. And Goro shows up. He looks pretty good. He's all CGI'd out, of course. But man, that fight just didn't do it for me. You know, Cole Young finally finds his Akana. He gets this stupid, almost Black Panther style armor. You okay? We're fine. Are you okay? Yeah. Badass suit, Dad. Where he can <laughs> absorb energy. He creates these swords out of his armor. It looks like he's made out of copper. And he just pieces Goro up with ease. I mean, slices Goro up like fucking sushi, man. Goro deserves a little bit better than that, in my opinion. He he was definitely one of the, the big bosses to, that would whoop your ass. I didn't so, like that part. So let me get this straight. You didn't like the armor aspect? I thought it was a little too cheesy. And like I said, it, they just literally took Black Panther's idea where it, he gets hit and it kind of glows and he absorbs energy. And I'm like... Man, like, why couldn't he turn into Scorpion? It's the yeah. perfect intro to, okay, this is the new Scorpion. He's branded. He's It's his bloodline. He's the new Scorpion. Sub-Zero's trying to find the new bloodline, but he turns into Scorpion. He's got his ancestor's spear. It would have made perfect sense. But no, they gave him some whack fucking armor. It made no sense to me. Interesting. You know, again, I'm coming at it solely from the movie. So, like, basically, they're all on an even keel. I mean, I know Goro has, like, four arms or whatever. <laughs> But, like, I always thought they were all just kind of evenly matched, and I thought it was a great opponent whenever he did have that revelation. It shows the growth of that character, Cole Young, but like I said, it, it made more sense to me for him to turn into what Scorpion is. The ancestor, he didn't find his arcana, and then all of a sudden it's this totally different thing than what I was expecting. But to bring back that character at the very end... You know, I ain't going to bitch too much. You're right. It doesn't advance the story at all. But, I mean, think of most martial arts films. You're really there for the fights. That's what we get at the end. We get Scorpion coming back from hell to finally get justice against Sub-Zero. Really good ending fight scene, I thought. He finally says, get over here like everybody wants to hear. The CGI was done really well, I thought, with that end fight scene. I know your movie maniac meter went through the roof whenever Scorpion first showed up and you got that little instrumental of the first Mortal Kombat theme. Get over here! 
little instrumental where you heard just a, that little hint of it, and you went, "Oh, just go, go full bore, man! Just do yeah. it." <laughs> mm-hmm. I was, I was thinking about you watching the film whenever I saw that part. I was like, "Man, oh, I bet Rylan love this shit." Oh, I, I sat up in my seat a little bit. I went, "Oh, okay," you know. And and like I said, the fight scene was epic. It was really well done. Those two guys, they're yin and yang. They're perfect. And right. to see them, you know, finally get to go at it. I was hoping for more. You don't get to see right. Scorpion, you know, first 15 minutes, last 15 minutes. I think they dropped the ball with that. That actor alone is amazing. But overall, I, I don't want to beat this up because I had a good time. It was better than expected. It's a popcorn movie. The newer kids that are that are following the video games now are happy. And the OGs like us who have, who've watched this evolution from day one were happy. So Boat beat it up. I know Nasty Nate was a little upset with some of the storyline stuff. They did a better job than expected. I did want to hit on the aspect of the blockbuster during the lockdown. Like in this show, we went to go see Godzilla vs. Kong in the theater. And I've, that's the kind of feel that I'm getting from a lot of, of viewers of this film is that they don't like it, but they like that they're getting blockbusters again. Maybe they're getting a lot more appreciation for what goes into making a movie because there was a lot of people just letting a lot of good productions just go by the wayside and they would just shit on them all the time. And I, I hope that a movie fan is really appreciative of what we're getting you know, with this lack of production coming through. Wonder Woman, Godzilla versus Kong, and now Mortal Kombat. I feel like Godzilla versus Kong was was the best out of those three. So we don't have a lot to chew on. Everything's getting pushed back. Can't wait for Fast and Furious. Like <laughs> it's like I'm being starved as a movie fan, especially a theater goer. If this movie would have came out two years ago, I probably would have shit all over it. But it's the sign of the times, which you could say it's a sad thing that your quality of viewing is going down which I don't like. I don't want to be content with shitty movies. But I had two buddies that I just talked to today that said, oh, I fucking loved it. It was great. It was enjoyable. My boy Johnny Cage wasn't in this one, which I was upset about. But they're doing it smart. It's really smart to be like, ooh, no, let's leave out Johnny Cage for the sequel. I need you tomorrow night. Sorry. My days fighting for 200 bucks are done. Now you're finally quitting, huh? Yeah. uh, Something like that. Where are you going to go? Hollywood. Hollywood? What the hell's in Hollywood? Not what. Who? It's been fun. <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I mean, it would be poetic if it did become a film franchise that kind of mirrored the game journey to where yeah. every chapter is kind of a little bit better and a little bit better to where you get kind of an end game kind of scenario if you can work that hard and tell that good of a story. But do you have a favorite scene in this film? I'm going to have to go with, uh, it's really hard because the beginning was so well done. I was expecting this really in-depth story of why Scorpion and Sub-Zero are enemies and they never really touch on it ever. So I was a little let down. And then you get this epic battle at the end. So the the final fight scene is going to be my favorite by far. My favorite, personal favorite, is whenever Kano got his Akana, where Kung Lao was really just goading him, uh, just getting him mad, trying to remove that layer of machismo from him so that he could find it. I thought it was a great way to introduce the red eye, as as opposed to just him showing up with just a metal eye. I thought it was an extra piece of complexity there that we didn't ask for, but we got it. And so I liked it. It did take me out of it for a second, because he kind of goes on a little bit of a racist rant, to be honest. I mean, pretty adult theme. It makes sense because this is that's the character Kano is. He really is a bad, baddie dude. But it's just, it's kind of out of context when, 
like I said, you get this Cole Young and his little sister and the little cute story about the family. And then you get Kano, you know, it's like that just doesn't flow with me. You know, you take Kano out of this and, and the comp comedic value, it's not as good of a movie for sure. You know, I was just thinking about it. Like if Cole Young is Frank Dukes, then that means that Kano is the guy that Ogre played in Bloodsport. Yeah. Check that out. Thank you. Good stuff, Jackson. Thanks. But uh, what took you so long? Oh, funny. Real funny. <laughs> he, he's like his macho American douchebag buddy that kind of helps relate to the, the Western side of martial arts films, and especially a cynical one. If we're living in the age of 2021, you got to have that cynicism for some reason. And so I, I think it was a great decision to have Kano be one of those relatable characters to an American audience. What are you going to rate this, man? Let's rate it, baby. One to ten, I would give this film. Oh, God. I might watch it again, but it wouldn't be my choice. So, so I'm going to give this film a 5.2. Above average, but that's really all it is. It's just kind of average. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I'm going to give it a 6.0. I would have gave Mortal Kombat 95 probably about the same score. So I think it's kind of on par for the movie I grew up with and loved. The writing's not great. The, the plot's a little fucked up. So it's going to take some points off. Is it rewatchable? Eh, maybe. It did what it was supposed to do. It did what it was said it was going to do. I enjoyed it. I didn't hate it. I didn't look at my watch once. So, hey. And with this movie, it proves it is far and beyond better than Annihilation. They they understood where, where they fucked up and they tried to you know fix those things. And I think they succeeded in that plight, but it doesn't make it a masterpiece by any way, shape or form. That's Mortal Kombat, guys. I think we got a, two more weeks on HBO Max if you got it. Other than that, you have to go to the theater to go see it, which I highly recommend, guys. Go go visit your local theater. Give them some money. Let them know you're waiting for their heyday to come back again. But as far as this show, guys, we have a guest coming up next week. We have longtime Real Shit member Andrew Edwards joining us next week, and we're going to be talking Monty Python, specifically Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. What's the point of all these hoes? Ryland, is this your first viewing of this movie? It will be. And, you know, I grew up, the only Monty Python I, I knew of was the Holy Grail, which I fucking love. But it's a little before my time. It's definitely British comedy, which I kind of didn't understand at a young age. I definitely understand it better now, but I'm very excited to jump into this one headfirst. I've only seen it one time all the way through, and it is definitely an interesting watch. So can't wait to see what your thoughts on it. I can't wait to meet Andrew finally for the first time. He's a non-mutual friend of either uh, me or Ryland. We're going to have fun. And we got more coming down the pipeline, guys. But that does it for this week. And so for Ryland Johnson, my name is Charlie Thompson. And we have been spitting the real shit. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. He's out. Hey, man, we didn't talk about Indiana Jones. Fuck. This is my fight song. Take back my life.